Good morning. Hi, I'm Billy. I'm one of the elders here at Reality Ventura. And this week, we're going to pick right up where Dominic left off last week in Matthew chapter 15. So we'll start by reading our text. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Verse 32, And Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I feel compassion for the people. Because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the seven fish, or and, and the few fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples then handed them to the people. And they ate. They all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, and there were seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. This morning, God, we're reminded of your incredible faithfulness. That God, today, your love and your mercy and your desire for intimacy with us is the same as it always has been, Lord. Help us, God, to discover your truth and your will through your word today. Pray that you would bless and anoint the teaching and the hearing of your word, that it would edify, it would build us up. And God, that we would be like the disciples, Lord, that we would grow in understanding and serving and following Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so right off the bat, we have to ask the question, why are we reading a story about Jesus feeding 4,000 people? It seems like we just read that. In fact, in your Bible, one page to the left in chapter 14, if you have the little subheadings in your Bible like most do, you'll see a story called Jesus Feeding the 5,000. We, we just went over that and just look, took a look at that. And this is, today, is nearly the same story. It's told in nearly the same way. And so we have to ask, why? What's the significance? And uh, some people have, have guessed, maybe Jesus did this a whole bunch of times, and so they recorded it twice just to demonstrate it was something he did over and over again. We don't know that. But what we do know is that Matthew recorded two different, two separate times where Jesus fed large multitudes of people. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is important for us to see here today? What is important for us to catch from this particular account? What is the Lord teaching us? And so like Dominic pointed out in last week's sermon, we will discover again today, and this is what I believe Matthew is kind of building toward. Today we're going to discover again that God's mercy has no bounds. We're going to see God 
pushing the bounds of mercy. Jesus, as he's pressing in and, and walking in ministry, pushing the bounds of mercy beyond where certainly the disciples had thought they were. And I believe that the purpose of this particular account is to help us even as a church see a much bigger, much broader, more sweeping view of who Jesus is. Today's text exposes a bigger purpose to all that Jesus has been doing. Up until now, we've seen over and over again through parables and and through these incredible stories of things that Jesus did, we've seen the amazing power of God at work through Jesus. Jesus displays this incredible power, healing hundreds of people, perhaps thousands of people, turning water into wine, performing miracles in front of hundreds of thousands and even possibly thousands of witnesses. Jesus has proven that he has radical authority, real authority. He has authority over demons. He has authority over storms. He has authority over gravity, over the nature of water even. We've we've seen that in these stories. So something big is going on. We see the details of Jesus' ministry as we read this week in and week out, and we talk about the significance of it. But I believe that perhaps we haven't caught the big picture, that there's, there's a bigger picture for us to see that Matthew's trying to communicate through this story today, that Jesus is setting a stage and that we've been getting glimpses throughout our study. But in order for us to really see what's going on, we kind of have to peek ahead. And so today we're going to look ahead to Matthew 28. Um, Matthew 28 is the last chapter in the book of Matthew, okay? And this is, we're going to look at the last part of the last chapter of the book of Matthew. It's the the ultimate in like peeking at the end of the book to see what happens. But I believe it's significant for us to take a look at that today in order for us to, to gain the context and see what's going on in our story in Matthew 15. And so in Matthew 28, it starts off at the beginning of that chapter. It's Jesus having risen from the dead. Okay, and um, he, appears to, he appears to his disciples and he eats with them. And then where we're going to start reading here, what, what's happened is Jesus has assembled his disciples up on top of a mountain. Okay, so that, that's the context here. He's up on the mountain with his disciples and he says these words. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, that's a radical statement. And it's radical because there's, there, there are two extreme statements that Jesus makes in this, okay? The first one is he says, all authority has been given to me. Okay, and when he says all authority, he means all authority, because he gets really specific, doesn't he? He says all authority in heaven and on earth. He means all authority. So Jesus is claiming to have all authority. Literally, he's saying, I have it all. I have authority. He also says in the second extreme statement, he says in light of that, or because of that, in, in, the, in our translation here, it says, therefore, because I have all this authority, you go make disciples of the nations, all nations. It's an extreme statement. Go to everybody. Now, the word that Jesus uses for authority here, uh, it's not translated well into English by just simply saying authority. The word that Jesus uses is a word that means authority, but it also means all power, all authority and all power. So Jesus is claiming to have full rights to whatever he wants to do. And he's claiming to have the full power, the ability to do that also. 
He has full authority, full power. And then he says, go therefore. In light of this full authority and full power, go to the nations. So throughout the book of Matthew, we see Matthew showing us over and over again how Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, right? He came to fulfill Jewish prophecies pertaining to the Jewish people, and he was, and he still is today, the Jewish Messiah. But he also has been showing us that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. He's not just the Savior of the Jewish people. He's the Savior of the whole world. And so Jesus starts his ministry first by going to Israel. And that has always been the plan. That was always the promise from God that the Messiah would come to Israel. But after going to Israel, Jesus goes and then he sends his disciples to go to all nations. So his disciples became And in turn, we become the object of God's mission. God came to earth. God 100% on mission, right? Like he had a a purpose for coming to earth. The purpose for coming to earth is to take lost sheep and to bring them back home. So we're the object of God's mission. The disciples were the object of God's mission. That was the point of the Messiah was to save, right? And so God had this amazing plan. But the disciples, we see, they weren't only the object of God's mission. They were also commanded to be participants in the mission of God. They're objects of the mission and participants in the mission. And that's the way it is with us in our Christian walk. We're receivers of God's love, and we're participants in sharing God's love. We're benefactors of this amazing heavenly kingdom. We get to experience that. We get to worship together and know God, live in the presence of God, seeing his, and witnessing his kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven, growing and seeing people, impossible people, okay? Seeing people like me grow, seeing impossible, prideful people let go of things that we never thought were possible. We, we're benefactors of that, aren't we? But we're not only benefactors, we're participants in the work of kingdom building. The disciples were receivers of the gospel, and they were sent to spread the gospel. See, let's go back to our passage today in Matthew 15. We see Jesus, he's working toward this missional end game of reaching all nations, right? We know that's the plan because we looked ahead and we peeked at Matthew 28. And so here he is, we're we're in chapter 15, and he's building a case for that. So that his disciples are seeing his power and authority, and they're seeing his heart for all nations. Jesus is cluing his disciples in to where things are headed for them. And if you would put the map up here. um, Okay, so last week uh, when Dom taught, Jesus had gone up to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is on the coast way up north there. And this week, Jesus has come back down on the, the, the line that goes further inland there, further east, And the Decapolis actually is a region of 10 cities. And this map shows Decapolis there. But there's 10 cities, and some of them were right up against the lake. Um, Our passage today talks about Jesus being up against the lake. So he's actually kind of up against that eastern side of the Sea of uh, Galilee there. And so um, last week, when Jesus was up in Tyre and Sidon, he was in a Gentile region, and he encounters this Gentile woman, this Canaanite woman, with a demonized girl. This week, Jesus travels all the way down and he goes to the other side of the lake. 
In the Apostle Mark's parallel account, um, we, we know the region and we know the area, and we also know that it's a Gentile area. We know it's, it's not a Jewish area. Gentile, uh, that word is just used to, to express that it was, they were non-Jews. So they weren't observant of Jewish law. They would have been considered a very unclean people by the Jewish people, by the disciples. And so Jesus comes back to the lake, but he goes to the wrong side of the lake, right? So for the Jew, the west side is the best side, right? But Jesus goes to the east. He takes his guys to the other side of the lake. The east side was not safe or hospitable place for a religious Jew. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? Why is Jesus going from this one Gentile region where he has this interface with a Gentile woman, where by the, by the word of her faith, he, he does this incredible miracle, and then he comes back down, and he goes to another Gentile area, and here he's performing miracles again. What's going on here? See, Jesus is bringing his disciples, and through his word today, Jesus is bringing his disciples, and he's bringing us outside of Israel, outside of what's comfortable, outside of what's clean, outside of what makes sense to us. He's taking the disciples outside of Israel, and he's bringing them into the nations. See how he's doing that? This is like another step for them. Jesus is showing us that his mission knows no boundaries. He's saying that my mission isn't contained to Israel. It's not contained to your safe, clean, little religious life. I I want you to get out of here and go to all peoples. Now, Jesus had brought his disciples to the other side of the lake before. Do you remember that story? Uh, It was in Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to, I want to read that uh, for you guys just to remind you today. Um, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 28. It says, when he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. Okay? Welcome to the other side of the lake. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass that way. And they cried out, saying, what business do we have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was a herd of many swine feeding at a distance from them. The demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And Jesus says to them, Go, right? So the demon-possessed guy's got an idea, and Jesus is like, Okay, go, you know, like, and he does it. It's totally crazy. And then, excuse me, it says, And they came out, and they went into the swine, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they perished in the waters. The herdsmen ran away. And they went to the city and reported everything, including what had happened to the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, right? And the disciples would have been like, well, the whole city's coming out to meet us, right? And this is what happened. And when they saw him, they implored him to leave their region. <laughs> How's that missions trip, right? <laughs> not, not, a, not a fun trip. Didn't you think you've been on a bad missions trip, right? So that's not even it, Right? I don't know if you've ever suffered like through a a 17-hour airline flight where the food wasn't that good. These guys had a crazy storm on the sea on the way over. And they were freaking out and they had to wake Jesus up. And he supernaturally calms the water. They'd been up most of the night. They get out of the boat and they see these buddies, right? And they're like, well, this, this is horrible. Jesus cast the demons into pig, into the swine, this huge herd. And then all the people from the city come out, right? 
And you've, I've heard this taught so many different ways. Why would they come out? And they came out to throw them out. They probably came out to see a thousand, like, dead pigs bobbing in the water, right? I mean, you've never seen that before. They come out, and they're like, just leave, right? Just leave. Go. Not a good experience. The trip probably confirmed everything they had always assumed about the unclean other side, Right? It's like when you go to another country and you're like, man, the place is dirty, it's unclean, right? And then you're not careful with what you eat or what you drink and you end up getting sick and you're like, never going back there again, right? Or if you're like me, you hear a story like that and you're like, I'm never going there. This probably confirmed all those things in the disciples. See, the east side of the sea was not a fun place for the disciples. And so in our text today, they find themselves on the east side of the sea, this dark, scary place where culture is different, where religion is different, where people are foreign. It was a scary place. And Jesus takes them right back, right back into that scary place. He doesn't protect them from that place. He doesn't separate them from those people, the bad people. He brings them right back into it again. See, what Jesus is doing here, and this is important for us to to see because, you know, I've read a lot of books on discipleship. Jesus is discipling these guys. He's forming these men into Jesus followers. Like a Jesus follower doesn't just believe all the good theology we know. A Jesus follower doesn't just repeat all the good words that we know. A Jesus follower doesn't just demonstrate love to the wonderful, clean, easy people that are similar to us. A Jesus follower also goes to the wrong side of the lake where we've had bad, hurtful experiences, and we serve people. See, Jesus is making disciples here. He brings them right back to open their eyes. There's a bigger picture. Something bigger is going on, and he wants to make sure the disciples don't miss it. He's giving them an experience to help them understand this. This is real simple. Remember, we, we peaked, so we know what he's trying to show them. What is he trying to show them? That he has all authority in heaven and, other, and on earth has been given to him. And that they're to go to all the nations. Two things, simple things, Jesus wants his disciples to understand. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. In light of that, we're to go to all nations, all peoples, even the wrong side of the lake. So back to our text today. In verse 30, it says, large crowds came to him. They brought their sick, their crippled, their lame. They brought these people that needed healing, and Jesus heals them. And, and it says that the people glorified the God of Israel. Jesus heals this crowd of people that needed healing. And see, in this, in this story, we see something that Matthew has been doing throughout his entire account of Jesus' life. Matthew shows us that Jesus has authority over everything. He's showing us that. Jesus has authority over everything. He has authority over sickness. Just think about all the sick people he's healed in our story today. Here he's healing sick Gentiles. He has authority over evil. He has authority over nature, right? Walking on water, calming the storm. He has authority over sin. Remember that one crazy story where someone brings a a guy that needs to be healed to Jesus? And what does Jesus do? He forgives him of his sin. And I'm sure he did that just to ruffle the feathers of the religious people, right? Well, he didn't, but he was demonstrating his authority over sin. And then to to prove that he actually had authority, on top of that, he forgives the man of his sin, and then he heals the guy and sends him away. It's like Jesus has all authority. He has authority over death. 
In our story today, we see that Jesus even has authority over our circumstances, that he provides all we need. Jesus isn't just concerned about the big things, the big, crazy, miraculous miracles. He's also concerned about our meals. (laughs) He's concerned about our provision. Matthew has given much of his account to showing the authority of Jesus over everything. And so in Matthew 28, when, when we read that statement where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, nobody is surprised when he says that, right? Nobody's arguing like, okay, Jesus, we've seen you do some stuff. All authority? I don't know, but that's kind of a crazy... No, no one's saying that. No one, there's no argument to be made. Nobody on that mountain questioned his authority. I have a feeling that they were questioning the second extreme statement that he made, though, where he says, okay, in light of this authority, go to all the nations. See, that wasn't their plan. Their, their, their plan for Israel to be restored wasn't that Jesus would come down, demonstrate his power, empower people, and then send them to weak, sick, and needy people to build a kingdom. That wasn't what they were expecting. But that was the command. Jesus had brought them into the nations a few times. He modeled this going out in his own ministry. And, and it was a fruitful ministry. In, our, in verse 31, it says, So the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple restored, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Matthew specifies that they glorified the God of Israel because the Gentiles had many gods. They didn't know the God of Israel. They had many, many gods, and the God of Israel wasn't one of them. In fact, they were probably anti the God of Israel because the people of Israel just considered them unclean and and pushed them out. But Matthew shows us that Jesus' ministry had caused non-Jews to glorify the God of Israel. Last week, we saw this Gentile woman refer to Jesus, and he uses this very Jewish messianic title, the Son of David. Remember that? She she called this, this Gentile woman, not a Jew, How would she even know that? But she calls him the son of David. See, when Jesus is revealed and people respond in faith, whether Jew or Gentile, God is glorified. Jesus is setting the stage for the Great Commission. He has all authority. We're to go to all nations. And so what's important for us to see in this story today? Um, Remember at the beginning I said we have to ask that question. And there are a lot of details in this story, a lot of significant details, some of them a little bit different than we see in Matthew 14 where Jesus feeds 5,000. And so we're going to look at some of those because some of the good stuff, a lot of the good stuff is actually found in the details. The first thing I want to point out is that in the feeding of the 5,000 that you see in Matthew chapter 14, okay, that is in Israel. Jesus feeds 5,000 Jewish men and then plus women and children, okay? A a multitude of people, but they're Jews. He feeds 5,000 Jews, and it was the disciples on that day who expressed their concern for the people. It was a Jewish area filled with Jewish people. Okay, in the feeding of the 5,000, again, the same Jewish crowd, the disciples showed concern on the same day. Okay, Jesus had been ministering all day. He'd been teaching. He'd been healing their sick. And then it was starting to get late. And all of a sudden, the disciples got concerned. And they're like, hey, we got to send these people to go get some food. It's getting dark. It's getting late. Right? They had a heart for these. They're like, you know, they could see themselves out there in the crowd. And they're going, Jesus, we got to do something here. Right? We don't have enough food. What are we going to do? In the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, you'll notice that the disciples didn't show concern for the crowd at the end of the first day or the end of the second day. 
In fact, it was on the end of the third day, and it wasn't the disciples. The Bible says it was Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion. He, he saw a group of people that had been following him in a desolate place for three days, and he was worried that they were going to faint. The disciples weren't even thinking about that. They, they didn't express the same concern for the Gentiles after three days as they had for the Jews after one day of following Jesus. Second thing to point out is that the disciples, obviously, they had no thought that Jesus might do for the Gentiles the same that he had done for the Jews, right? What happened when they're in this desolate place, 5,000 Jewish men plus women and children, the disciples say they're hungry, what are we going to do? How did Jesus take care of that situation, right? He supernaturally multiplied, uh, you know, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Everybody ate. The Bible says they were satisfied, and there were 12 baskets of leftovers, okay? Look, this is our passage today, one page. This is where that story was, okay? One chapter later, we see the disciples freaking out. Jesus, where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to get fish, right? Well, what just happened, (laughs) What, what, what did Jesus just do for the multitude of Jews that were following him? The disciples, in fact, they said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Clearly they weren't thinking that Jesus would do the same amazing miracle that he had done for the Jews. They, they weren't sitting there going, hey, Jesus, do it again, right? Remember what you, do it again, right? You've already done it once, do it again. What's the big deal? But that's exactly what Jesus intended to do. Jesus intended to do for the outsiders exactly what he had done for those who were on the inside to the Jews. And Jesus displays the scope of his love. He displays the scope of his mission. And he does this in the context of a disciple maker. He's bringing these men in on this ministry. And he does this to broaden the disciples' scope of love and mission. Jesus is saying, I am the Savior And he's not saying, I'm the Savior of Israel only, right? In in this statement, he's saying, I am the Savior of the whole world. It's something that Peter would learn over time. He didn't learn it on that day. He didn't didn't learn it afterwards, you know, on on the seaside when Jesus came back and met them. In fact, we don't see Peter learning this lesson until Acts chapter 10. Now, I'm going to warn you, this is a long section of Scripture, but I, I believe it's, it's vital for us to hear this. It flows really well as a story, so just sit and listen or follow along. See how Peter learned, finally learns, and what does he see in the context of going to all nations? This is Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. It's important for us to understand that Cornelius, who's featured in this account, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a non-Jew, okay? So the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing town, So Cornelius had sent some messengers to town to to get Peter. Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? 
But just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, Peter was puzzling over this vision, and the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and he said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man. He's well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night, and then they went with them the next day uh, with some brothers from Joppa. And they arrived in Caesarea the following day, and Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at Peter's feet, and he worshipped him. Peter pulls him up, and he says, stand up. I'm a human just like you. And so they talked together. They went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, you know that it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or associate with you. Apparently, Peter wasn't afraid of awkwardness. (laughs) But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your gift to the poor have been noticed by God. Now, send messengers to Joppa. Summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying in the house of Simon, a tanner who lives in the seashore. So I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message that the Lord has given you. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him. You see that? This is Peter. Listen to his confession. He says, in every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. See, Peter finally is learning that lesson. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. See, he's preaching a message with authority. The the, the key to the message is the one who has all of the authority. He's like, okay, I, I see that God's given me permission to preach. Let me tell you about the one who has power. Let me tell you about the authority. He says that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord of all? You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. We apostles are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. 
And even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter, they were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praying and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just like we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Man, isn't that an incredible story? First of all, if you like history like I do, that's an amazing story. The history of the very, very early church as it's happening. This group of Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and then that that religious barrier being removed, right? Just as Jesus, as he hung on the cross, the veil in the temple is torn, and access is gained for everyone, right into the Holy of Holies, right into the presence of God. In that same exact way, That veil is torn for the Gentiles on this day, receiving the Holy Spirit. Peter acknowledges that by having them all baptized. There's nothing that separates the Jew and the Gentile from approaching God through Jesus Christ. It's a tough lesson for Peter. He learns it over a series of events. But he learns that God's love and God's kingdom are inclusive. Everybody is invited. The kingdom of God is not exclusive. It's inclusive. All nations, every single person is invited. God's invitation to the kingdom is totally inclusive. But the way into the kingdom is totally exclusive. Why? Because there's only one entity that has power. There's only one place because all power has been given to one entity. There's no shared power. There's not a bunch of different ways. Jesus said, all power and all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. So the way into the kingdom is by faith alone, in Christ alone. He's the only one that has the authority. He's the only one that has the power. So the love of God, the kingdom of God, the mission of God, these are are for everybody. All nations, all tongues, all tribes. But there's only one way in. By faith alone, in Christ alone. The one who has authority, right? So back to our passage today, Matthew 15. Jesus is demonstrating this to his disciples, isn't he? He's showing that to us in this passage today. By feeding 4,000 Gentiles, Jesus is showing us that the scope of his love and the scope of his mission is perhaps way bigger and way more inclusive than we might have imagined. Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to have to abandon your preconceived notions about who's clean and who's unclean, about who should stay out and who should be in, about who you should separate yourself from and who you should move to go live with. You're going to have to forget all that. You're going to have to relearn all of that. Jesus does for the Gentiles exactly what he had done for the Jews. Jesus goes to a foreign, distant, unclean place, and he brings his beautiful kingdom in the same way that he brought it to the Jews. There's some powerful symbolism in this story, too, the way he brings it. In the feeding of the 5,000, okay, feeding the 5,000 Jews plus women and children as a group of people think it was probably more like 12,000 people total once you get a total head count. There were 12 baskets left over after feeding 5,000 Jews. After feeding the Gentiles, the 4,000 men plus women and children, there were seven baskets left over. Now, the 12 baskets, it's significant because 12 is the number that's associated with Israel. There's 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 Jewish disciples. Um, 
There, in the book of Revelation, there are 12 foundations and, and 12 gates, right? Each one for the tribes of Israel. The number 12 is very significant. And so for the fact that Jesus feeding the Jews, and it says that they were all satisfied, satisfying the Jews supernaturally in that way, and then having 12 leftovers, a big extra basket, one for each tribe of Israel. It's, the symbolism is it's just incredible. It's powerful. Similarly, there's seven baskets left over with the Gentiles. Seven is usually the number of completion in the Bible. And we see that God's love and God's plan includes or included, he intended to include more than just the 12 tribes. God went to the Gentiles. And with the seven baskets left over, Jesus is telling the Gentiles that he is enough to satisfy them. To his disciples, he's saying that his love and his mission find completion and and wholeness outside of Israel. He's saying if, if you want completion, if you want to really understand the fullness of the kingdom, you have to get your mindset outside of your clean religious world because those are the people that I'm sending you to. You, I, I get it. I love you. I understand that you, you get it now, that you're all in. Now go. That's where the kingdom finds completion. Matthew chapter 15, verse 37. It says, and they, ate, they all ate and they were satisfied. That is the same exact thing that it says in Matthew chapter 14 after feeding 5,000 Jews. They were all satisfied. See, the picture of the feeding of the 5,000 and then the picture of the feeding of the 4,000, it's a picture of the scope of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. God doesn't just have grace toward us. He has more than enough grace toward us. Twelve extra baskets in the case of the Jews. God extends far more mercy than we require. And I require a lot of mercy. And God tells the Gentiles, I have more than enough of it for you. There's seven extra baskets. More than enough. Everyone was satisfied. In Christ, there's always enough grace, always enough mercy, always enough love for all people. Remember, all were satisfied. No one left hungry. God's love and mission extends to everyone. There's enough for everyone to be satisfied. And God's great passion is to save people. That's the whole point of the Messiah was that, that the people would worship him. That we would be a people and we would be his people. We would worship him. We would join together and exalt God. But it wasn't just an individual people. God's great passion was to save all people. All are invited through Christ. And Matthew shows us that in Jesus there's enough grace, love, and mercy for everyone. Feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus' invitation for the Jews to come into the kingdom through Christ. He's saying, hey, this is your way into the Father now. The veil is ripped. It's done. Torn. Gone. No more sacrifice system. You want to come into the presence of the Father? Man, there's, you'll be so satisfied. More than enough. There's leftovers. Israel, come to me. The feeding of the 4,000 is Jesus' invitation for the Gentiles to come to the kingdom of God through Christ. We see this all-inclusive picture. We see it in the book of Revelation, too, in the summation of all things. We're going to go to the end of, literally the end of the actual book here, Revelation chapter 5. Listen to the vocabulary here. This isn't the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, but the vocabulary is similar. This is a banquet where the, kingdom, the people of God have come and assembled to eat. They sang a new song with these words, You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, your blood is ransomed people, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign the earth. God has ransomed a people for God from every tribe, every language, and every nation, and they're going to be a kingdom of priests, and they will will reign on the earth. See, God's kingdom is, is, it's not just for us here in this church. It's not just for us in, in the the industrialized world. God's kingdom is for everyone, every tongue. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, Jesus has all authority, and he's inviting all nations to salvation. Who's invited? Everybody. There's no one excluded. How do they get there? Through faith in Christ alone. See, Jesus has authority, and he has the power to save us. And Jesus commands us to go, to go and and tell others, to go and bring this bread, this feast to others. We're not to be a people who only receive. Jesus didn't teach his disciples to just receive. They were taken by Jesus to the nations, right? Jesus took them on these super fun missions trips, right? They were hard. But here he brings them back again. See, it was important doing it over and over again. That's how we raise our children, right? We want them to do something well. We encourage them to do it over and over again, even when they don't want to. If you want to do something well, if you want someone to understand, you you have to model it and you have to repeat it over and over again until they do it themselves. Jesus did that. He, He brings them out of Israel into the nations and then standing on that mountain, acknowledging the authority of God in him, he says, therefore, go. Go to the nations. Jesus was teaching the disciples that following him would always mean that they're pressed to care for people that they don't naturally care for. Now, that's a big thing in our culture. As a Christian, you are going to be called, and I would argue you're going to be continually called, to love people and serve people that you don't naturally care for. You probably don't want to care for them. They're probably hard to care for. Following Jesus will always do this. We're always going to find ourselves loving people that we don't naturally love, right? But we see the disciples where Jesus has them right in that place. Jesus is doing the supernatural work. What does he have the disciples doing? He's passing the food out. The disciples are serving the Gentiles. Here are these Jews. The intimacy and the the picture here is just mind-blowing for a Jew in that era to be serving food in that way. I'm going to take food that the rabbi has supernaturally multiplied, and now I'm going to hand it out. And they distributed food to this huge population of Gentiles. They were distributors at this meal. Jesus had them working. They served, and they saw people satisfied. See, this is the place of the Christian. We serve others. We serve outsiders. We serve people in other nations. We invite people from other nations in. Like we're, we're, we're not limited by the things that limit the people of the world. See, God's mission and his kingdom doesn't know any boundaries. We bring them bread. We bring them true bread. See, this is the Christian life. This is discipleship. 
We're called by Jesus to be active participants in the kingdom of God, not merely spectators, just like the disciples. You were called by God, each one of us in this room, we've been called by God to receive God's grace, God's love, and God's mercy. If you've not received that gift, let me tell you, it's a free gift. And it's available to everybody, anybody. The only way to know God, the only way to have access to that gift is through faith in Jesus Christ. All authority has been given to him. You've all been called by God to receive that. And you've all been called by God to bring others to the feast where everyone will be satisfied through Christ. It's this beautiful interface between our faith and our life. Like we get to walk out. We get to see, like the disciples got to see, supernatural work in their lives. Wherever Jesus led them, and they were in this discipleship relationship with Jesus, these supernatural things would happen. Church, listen, in the same way, as we walk out our Christian life, if we're willing to obey Christ with our life, shunning and laying down our preferences, and saying yes to the people that God has called us to, to the people on the other side of the lake, so to speak, I guarantee, I know, because God promises that we will see supernatural things. We will see marriages restored. We'll see lives restored. We'll see people recover from things that statistically are impossible. We see people healed. We see hopeless people find hope. Following Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we always get what we want. And so today... As we close in prayer now, we're going to just pray a few things. And we'll just kind of do this uh, in, in, your, in your heart or in your mind corporately as we close in prayer. To really prepare our hearts for worship. Because I believe that God has called each of us to, to respond to this message. Maybe some today is a, a response in faith to, to trust in Christ. Maybe for some of us it's a, a response in faith to, to trust something that God's showing you. A way that we're called to step out. But each of us today, I believe, is called to respond in faith. Where is Jesus leading you? If you're a disciple of Jesus, where is he leading you? Perhaps it's the other side of the lake. And Father, I thank you again for your incredible word. Thank you for this picture of your kingdom, this picture of your authority and your power and your love. Thank you, God, for the, this, this huge scope of your mission that we see in this text today. Help us, Lord, to respond to this. Holy Spirit, lead our hearts to respond. Pray, God, that we would submit our hearts to you now and ask, God, who do you love that I'm struggling to love right now? Show me this person. Who does Jesus feel compassion for? Like he felt compassion for those Gentiles and the disciples didn't seem to be demonstrating it. God, I know I'm guilty of that. Show me who Jesus has compassion for that I'm ignoring. Show me, God, who are the people around me that I should be inviting to the banquet table, that I should be inviting to come and be satisfied. We love you, God. We, we want to lay our lives at your feet. We ask you, Lord, to do that supernatural work of filling us up. Give us the faith required to respond. We exalt you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen.